0: This is Grammar C, the podcast that highlights the stories of those who live and work on the margins of society. I'm your host, Corey Malat. Thank you for coming on this journey with me. Welcome to Season 3. This season, you will get the privilege of meeting the formerly incarcerated and those who mentor, employ, and restore hope into their lives. I am partnering with Defy Ventures to bring you this dynamic series that will teach us what the journey looks like for life after prison. Today, I am going to introduce you to one of the most driven, strongest women I have ever met. Elizabeth Randall Hebert has several degrees from the University of California, Riverside, including psychology and sociology, as well as her MBA. Her resume includes such impressive titles as marketing manager, directive of US sales and marketing, and director of patient services, as well as consultant her accomplishments are simply staggering. She was pursuing her nursing degree when her run-in with the criminal justice system interrupted her latest higher education goals. As you will learn from Elizabeth's story, she is factually innocent. She had no reason to believe the system would not work for her. As it happens though, her situation took a horrible turn, and in order to protect her children, she ended up pleading to a lesser charge Thinking the whole time the truth would come out. It never did, and Elizabeth ended up serving three years in prison over a false accusation. The criminal justice system of California messed with the wrong lady. Elizabeth is now a fierce advocate for the formerly incarcerated, helps with reentry programs, and speaks out for justice reform, as well as against the injustice of the system in order to bring awareness. Elizabeth, I am super thankful that you are joining me today to share your incredible story. Um, Thank you. Yeah, I want to start with an icebreaker so that we can get to know each other. However, I'm not going to answer this question, only you are. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Um, If you could time travel and live anywhere in the world at any time in history, where Mm -hmm. would you choose and why? Oh my gosh, I think I would go medieval Ireland because
1: that's where my roots are. That's where yeah. both sides of the family are from. I know it's hard to tell with all this red hair. <laughs> <laughs> that was my next question. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yes. I have a natural red um, It was just a, a so much simpler time. Life was a lot simpler. We didn't have the complications. And you worked hard. You did well. You didn't work hard. People helped out, but you still had to pull your own. So mm-hmm. I think that would be my uh, – and it's an island, so not a lot of um, – you don't have to worry about a lot of cross traffic and it's just, it's simply beautiful.
0: I'd love to know what it was like growing up being you. Um, you mentioned oh, you're my gosh. 51 years old, so you've got a lot of life experience behind you. What was yes. your childhood like? What were some of your most wonderful, beautiful memories? And then what were some of the hardships that helped create who you have become?
1: Well, I, I have a large family. I have three sisters and two brothers. Um, Mom and dad were married for 31 years. Um, amazing dad, uh, brilliant, former Marine, did three tours in Nam. Mm. He traveled extensively for work. He was a distribution and robotics engineer, um, and my mother was a trauma nurse, so that's where the happy part (laughs) ends. Wow. Um, I grew up in an extremely abusive home. Mm. Uh, My mother was not well. Unfortunately, she was not diagnosed until many, many years later. And so it was It was rough. It was. Uh, we didn't grow up with a lot of money, so we we always joked that we grew up poor. We were so poor we couldn't afford the OR at the end. So. <laughs> <laughs> I've um, never heard that. That's a good one. Yes. Um, had a lot of family support. My mom's parents, um, everybody's military. So um, my grandmother was a typical military wife. My granddad was lieutenant colonel in the Air Force. My other grandparents, um, my dad's dad was a um, Green Beret. And he stormed the beach at Normandy, and his wife was a housewife.
0: That didn't involve traveling a lot, like moving to different Air Force bases and all of
1: that? Actually, we got lucky. Um, we moved with in with my grandparents when I was little because my dad was still in Vietnam. And then the whole family settled in Riverside, so Southern oh, California. Wow. Um, and everybody from the East Coast slowly migrated, so at least we were stable in that respect. I moved out at seventeen. I was the valedictorian of my high school. I always excelled in school because it was a safe place. Put myself through cosmetology college because I had the fortunate chance meeting while I was modeling to meet Rick Baker, who was the makeup artist on Thriller. Mm
0: -hmm. And I was just
1: fascinated by his work. So he turned to me and said, go get a cosmetology license. And two weeks later, I was enrolled in school. Wow. Uh, Work full time. I owned my own salon by the time I was 21.
0: No Uh, way. Yes. You are a driven woman, aren't you? Very,
1: very type A. So uh, at 23, I bought my first home by myself. I owned my shop for about 10 years. um, And then I gifted it to my stylist when I went back to college. Wow. Um, I I left RCC. I'd done all my breath requirements with a 4.3, went to UCR. um, And I achieved four bachelors in two years. No way. While working full time and having two children, I had my oldest son the first, end of the first quarter, I was carrying a 32 unit load working 40 hours a week and um, researching and so I missed one day of school, Um, had my son the first day of fall break for Thanksgiving, went right back, I had my second son the last semester, two days before finals of my final oh. year. <laughs> oh, the timing actually, on that one, man. I, I actually had my professor bring my final to me in the hospital because they wouldn't let me out. There's that 24-hour pesky hold um, that they <laughs> <do> have. <that. laughs> so I, uh, I aced that and went straight to grad school. My ex-father-in-law um, was the CEO of Callaway Golf who recognized the, um, the natural knack for business and begged me to take business classes which i had actually just graduated with all my behavioral science degrees so my bachelor's are in psychology sociology neuroanatomy and math i took three calculus classes over the summer and went straight into my mba program Um, i did that full-time while working as a fortune 500 consultant um, for other businesses and um, graduated that in 18 months and then went into business So within four years, I was a vice president of global marketing and manufacturing. My emphasis for my MBA is marketing and entrepreneurial management. And then I tripped and fell into healthcare back in 2005. (laughs) Never, never would have thought it. I was being hounded by a recruiter to be a director of communications for Kaiser Permanente. Uh And I took that role. And then the company I was working with moved to the East Coast. Um, I worked for Kaiser for about nine years, had my third child, After working for Kaiser for nine years, I went to work for DeVita, uh, which is hemodialysis, Mm -hmm. ESRD, and I was a group facility administrator, so I ran multiple clinics. In working for DeVita, I had the opportunity to be the director of QI for the ESRD network for CMS, so I was a federal regulator.
0: Wow, so you have (laughs) worn many hats Yes. And you are quite accomplished and you love to learn. These are all the things that I'm taking away from everything that you're saying. And you don't it sounds like a challenge. (laughs) You're you're not intimidated by any challenges. No. Bring them on, right? Not at all.
1: There's no such thing as a
0: problem, only an opportunity to succeed. You prove that. You totally prove that. And your hardships, you chose, it looks like, to see them as challenges and opportunities to succeed, which I really love that. So mm-hmm. how did you end up incarcerated? That I mean, that blows my mind that somebody yeah, well, with your accomplishment it, it, and- It your- blows my mind. So. Um, obviously, I
1: divorced my first husband. He was insanely abusive. He was my mother on steroids and I was with no. him for 29 years. I divorced him and uh, several years later, I met my husband now. Beautiful man. He's just amazing. He's the yin to my yang. We got married in 2014. I had gotten my divorce in 10. He and his family were going through a very rough patch. Some things had happened where he wasn't speaking to his mom or his kids. And so Easter Sunday, ten very codependent. If it was an Olympic sport, I'd have a gold medal. His stepfather, there was always that creepy, something's wrong vibe. He was very interested in my youngest, very uh, misogynistic, always hitting me up for money, which my husband had warned me, don't ever give him money. Mm-hmm. Um, turns out he had substance abuse issues amongst some pretty horrifying things going on. Mm-hmm. So they came over on Easter. So I kicked a huge four course meal. I had invited everybody for dinner. Um, he had asked me, was it okay to have his family there? Absolutely. Family's family. And so they showed up. Uh, they showed up four hours late. My husband oh, had to get them no. up. Um, he had started hitting me up for more money. And unfortunately that morning i had had a terrible head injury. I had actually knocked myself unconscious, um, moving faster than my body would allow. So mm-hmm. I had gone into the ER that morning. Um, I don't take medication. Redheads are extremely med sensitive. My mm. throat to close. So they had given me something at the mm. hospital, I guess some kind of painkiller. Mm-hmm. And of course I'm cooking and we're having a great time. And um, probably about 9.30, 10 o'clock, his sister was on the way and I had to work in the morning. And my husband had gone to lay down and in asking him for some help. We had a, we don't argue, but we have an argument. And so he got upset. He's, he's more you know, disconnect and leave. And I am very, let's solve it right now. Mm -hmm. And in the midst of having this argument, I get very upset. His mom and I were talking in the the foyer and he went out on the porch. As I followed him, his stepfather yelled, oh my God, she has an unloaded gun. Which I did not have in my hands. We do have, we did have firearms in the house. Um, Yes. And he knew that. So the police got called. I had no idea what was going on. Three hours later, I was arrested for attempted murder. Um, with no weapon. Um, I was never interviewed. Um, They took my children and gave them to my ex-husband who has a rap sheet for domestic violence that's about 20 years long. Did bail out four days later on a million fifty dollars bail with no injuries or property damage. I would not plead because I I truly believe the law and order methodology. That was my only only experience with law enforcement except for as a DV survivor. I don't like the term victim because I'm not dead. Oh, I and like that point I, of view. I survived it. Yeah. Well, the yeah. only thing that DV victims, unfortunately, didn't make it. DV survivors were stronger than you think. So,
0: mm-hmm. so um, they didn't, you're saying the police did not question you as to why somebody called <laughs> and nope. said, no. <clears throat> right. So and was there, there was, what about the rest of the people in the house?
1: Uh, well, actually, the stepfather, the mother um, told the same story that I'd pointed an unloaded weapon at my husband. But he was a good 1,000 feet away down by the trash cans and said he heard the gun click. It was a um, Ruger Alaskan forty-five. That was my purse gun. The DA charged me. I got out. I was out on bail. I got an attorney. Uh, my first attorney took $35,000, and after six months, didn't do anything. So I fired him, um, got a local attorney who claimed he was a former DA and that he had this in the bag. There was no evidence. Nothing happened. My husband had actually given a full recantation. Two days later, while I was still incarcerated, um, after thinking about it and realizing that, wait a minute, he was there. And it's like yelling fire in a theater. Yes, like yes. I, you're going to tell me how you smelled the smoke. You're going to tell me what you saw. Because his stepdad kept repeating the same story over and over again. So they, and, they held your husband as well? Well, yes. And so then it gets interesting. So after about eight months... I still wouldn't plead. The DA had not ever taken me to a pretrial hearing. They would not produce discovery. So then they arrested my husband and told him they were going to charge him with providing ammunition and firearms to a prohibited person. Um, On what proof? We he still had registered weapons in a safe. It turns out that was an illegal arrest. They arrested me for for they said, oh, I must have been near the firearms because it was my house.
0: Did they ask anything about your? mental condition at the time, having been on uh, medication, having been in the hospital just earlier that day.
1: Did not care. I also was diagnosed in 2010 with obviously severe PTSD, chronic massive depression, and severe anxiety. I managed those holistically because, again, I can't take medication. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Those are under control. So then it turned into my husband's a victim to now we are Bonnie and Clyde. She actually called him Clyde Barrow at at his arraignment. So I bailed him out. I bailed myself out again. Um, four days later, they said, my attorney told me, oh, it's a plea deal. You're, you're going to have a suspended sentence. The next morning, I was told I would plead guilty to attempted murder on a seven-year charge. They took my children, and that was a rough patch. They had How taken old my were child. your kids
0: at the time? They
1: were 9, 15, and 17. So what the DA told me at the time is, if I didn't plead, she would arrest my older two children for obstruction of justice and put them in Robert Presley detention in a cage, these are her words, in a cage with people that didn't look like them. And they were young, middle-aged, my middle son is
0: deaf. So to save your children, you just did and whatever they asked.
1: She was going to put my baby in foster care. And she kept saying, no. you know, mom, you have a behavioral science background. You know what they do to children in foster care. And I'm looking at her, I kept asking my attorney, can she do this? And so she said, you realize Robert Presley is the highest incident of in rape and murder, so while you're standing here on your moral high horse, miss, I didn't do it, your kids are going to be brutalized. And I said, give me the paper. Don't touch my children. So I pled. I never went to a pretrial hearing. And what they told me is if I, if, she, if I forced her to take me to a pretrial hearing, she'd make sure I did 30 to life. So seven versus 30, it's what sociologists call the plea gap. It's a good way to get factually innocent people to plea you hit them with an outrageous number and it's kind of like yeah yeah can I have a pony no well how about a puppy okay because your human nature is to compromise and so I ended up doing three years and 11 months
0: how do you mentally grasp this idea that I am 100 percent innocent there's nothing I did wrong yet I'm doing time how do you grasp that how do you emotionally process this Um,
1: I think it was a shock for a while trying to wrap your head around the criminal justice system only works for people that truly are criminals. I know the system, and I met honestly quite a few ladies. Uh, I ended up at all three prisons because I, you know, I was a short termer, and I would met quite a few people that had been um, unduly prosecuted and were factually innocent. The California Innocence Project actually picked up my my case Mm -hmm. Um, two years before I got out. I was at CCTRP at San Diego. And the CC3 down there told them I only had two months left and that it was a safety risk to let them in, so they had to drop it. So that was a crushing. Um, how I wrapped my head around it? I have a tremendous faith. I actually was uh, became an ordained minister while I was in. I did a lot of tutoring. I tutored about 80 women through their GED. Wow. I taught classes. I spoke on domestic violence. Um, I, I taught Toastmasters. And through hard work and diligence, which is how I roll, I earned three years off my sentence in a year and a half.
0: So like you did all of your earlier challenges, mm-hmm. you made the most of a negative situation.
1: Absolutely. So, How do you know, your children do? Um, they're with their father. He still struggles with addiction daily. Um, he's still violent. Uh, I have reconnected with my oldest. Um, my middle one and my, my littlest, they're still processing. They don't understand. Um, mm. so I do, I, I, you have to respect their boundaries. Yeah. My middle son is 21. My little guy just turned 15. So we have brief communication. It's just, they're still angry. They're still upset. I'm still married to their stepdad. Um, which of course I saw him every weekend and every holiday. He used to drive 600 miles each way every weekend to see me in Folsom. He's never missed a weekend. CDCR per visitor. The minute I got out, they said, you can't see your husband. And when I asked why in six hundred two, no reason. I also got my paralegal degree inside, so when the felony murder rule came along, I was able to write appeals for other women. Mm-hmm. And you know, everybody in prison has a hustle. My hustle is you have to be kind to others. I don't charge. That's my charge, and it's an
0: incredibly high price to pay. Did you meet I met any lots
1: of people? Yes, anybody
0: specific who just touched your heart or changed uh, your point of view on anything specific? Did you meet other Um, innocent, factually innocent
1: people too? um, My friend here that I'm with, a terrible, terrible accident. Her heart stopped while she was driving. Um, Unfortunately, people were hurt, and they charged her with, uh, I believe it was vehicular manslaughter and GBI, and they charged it on a deceased individual, which is against the law. Even though she was physically
0: unable to control Um, herself
1: proved it in court and she still went to prison. I met lots of people who literally, you know, you hear these scary stories. And if you'd asked me eight years ago and tough on crime and everything (laughs) should work like Elliot Stabler and Olivia Benson, I would have said, absolutely. And if you're whining about it, you need to rethink your position.
0: That is a falsehood. So your opinion of the justice system completely did a 180, it sounds like.
1: Absolutely. Um, Yeah. What is it now? so basically you're not going to step the corruption of mass incarceration until you change the way DAs are elected. They're not elected on justice rates, they're elected on conviction rates.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: How is it possible that Riverside County has 100% conviction rate? That's statistically impossible. How is it possible that 99% of their cases are plea deals? How is one in four Calif- One in four people in California have been, will be, or are incarcerated. We incarcerate more people in one state than every other civilized country combined, including China.
0: That's her statement. Yeah, so it doesn't sound like it's, it's rehabilitating just- people, and it's, it's not-, not justice. There's no rehabilitation. No, business. you make your own. We want to punish people, of course. and that's it.
1: You know, I have to tell you, the most corrupt, evil sadistic human beings I think I've ever met. And I worked in healthcare and I worked as a counselor for at-risk youth for a very long time. The staff, COs, they have a high school diploma. They're making you know, 80, 90,000 a year, largest union in the state, in the nation. And they contribute more than half to the gubernatorial campaign every year. CDCR has no oversight. They don't report to anyone.
0: That's awful.
1: Korea Too much power. Absolute power corrupts absolutely.
0: Are these state prisons or privately owned prisons that you're? These are
1: state, state, all state. Um, When I wrote to the secretary of the prison system, he reports to no one. Mm. Keep in mind, I'm a published researcher, so when I want to know something, I either go learn it, find out, or I research it. Uh huh. So
0: (laughs) yeah. So you've Um, done your work. You've done all the hard work. So did you come in contact with Defy Ventures while you were actually at one of the prisons? or?
1: I was at CIW, and they started Defy Ventures, which I was with my friend here. And because the staff knew nothing about business, they couldn't understand the curriculum. So my friend Chrissy, who's also an MBA, said, Elizabeth has an MBA, and then giggled. I ended up writing, not only teaching that class there, but I ended up helping a lot of girls kickstart their own business. Again, you have to be kind to others if you're not kind, uh-huh. to keep help you. Yeah. So lots and lots of innovation. Um, and of course, they transferred me to Folsom one week before I technically graduated. So once I got into the reentry facility, which now you're talking huge gender discrimination and bias because they have men's and women's and they're run completely differently based on gender. So I had a tête-à-tête with that, warden, oh. And the answer <laughs> I got from him was... I said, you know, the men can do whatever; they can work wherever; they can work seven days a week. Their families can come pick them up. You know, we couldn't work anywhere with a bed. We couldn't work anywhere near a bed. We can work anywhere near a hotel. All these things going on. And I said, well, what's the problem? And his answer,
0: this supposedly educated man, was, "We don't want no CCTRP babies." How do you see yourself as a different person on the other side of this, or do you? Do you see, well? I'm sure you feel stronger mentally and, mm-hmm. and emotionally and psychologically, but are there any other things that you see in yourself that you didn't expect on the other side of this journey?
1: I, I literally lost everything. And now it's very, very difficult for me to find employment despite the laws. I think I'm more reserved now. I, I am less trusting. Hmm. And I've always watched behavior instead of listening to words, but now I'm almost hyper vigilant about it. Before where I had zero boundaries and you could do whatever you wanted to me. Um, I did four years of CODA inside, which was actually very, very helpful. What is that? Co- codependence Anonymous. Oh, okay. So now I have extremely healthy boundaries that I'm very not loud about. I'm just very solid. And I now realize that you can prune people out of your life and love them from across the street.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, and isn't that something that unless we're taught that as, as a very young age, we see that boundaries as very negative.
1: Growing up, you know, boundaries equaled selfish.
0: Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah.
1: just learning to set boundaries, learning to be a little more patient with myself. I'm still mm-hmm. very Type A. I'm still very driven. Um, I don't see obstacles. You know, I was raised by a Marine, so it's identify, analyze, mm-hmm. adapt, and overcome. So. I don't see problems. I simply see opportunities to reverse engineer and succeed.
0: So this didn't
1: break me. (laughs) I appreciate
0: that mindset so much. Mm -hmm. I really do. And that's why it didn't break you. I'm sure that foundation.
1: Well, that, and there had to be a reason. And it allowed me to touch others' lives that I normally wouldn't have had the opportunity to. Mm -hmm. And even the the silly stuff about, you know, moral turpitude laws. I had just started nursing school when this happened. Hmm. Um, and I had actually gotten my paralegal degree inside, but I could never get my Juris Doctorate.
0: Oh, I'm sorry. As the laws
1: stand now. It's, you know what? Things change. Yeah. There's always legislation coming. There's always those of us that, here's what is interesting to me. This never would have been brought to my attention had the planets not aligned horribly. Once something's brought to my attention, I am super vigilant and super vocal.
0: Mm -hmm. So, you've become a very vocal advocate for justice reform, I imagine. Mm
1: -hmm. Yes. I'm also, I work not only my regular job, I am now a California justice leader working with at-risk youth that have done DJJ time to have their records sealed. So, I do that on a volunteer basis as well. Well, One, I think to myself, if I had, it was extremely uncomfortable and very frightening as an adult, what are you doing to children? I'm a mother. What are you doing to these children? They don't even have the capacity to understand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, what they're... about mitigating circumstances? What is going on in their life that led them to these choices? Where is the rehabilitation?
2: Mm-hmm. If
1: you want to know where the rehabilitation is, take a look at Europe's criminal justice system. Exactly. Zero recidivism. The accommodations are still treated like human beings. There's counseling, there's root cause analysis for lack of a better term.
0: We're not getting to the root of the problem. Yeah. We're just dealing with Band-Aids and the problem. Well, here's the thing.
1: It's a multi-billion dollar industry.
0: I worked mm-hmm. in PIA
1: mm-hmm. headquarters and you don't want to know the amount of money. They put me in billing, which was probably a bad idea. <laughs> um, <laughs> so anything, any state agency has to order from them. So you've got a $900 chair, which is their cheapest chair, colleges, hospitals, prisons, everybody has to order from them. You paid $40 in materials, nothing for labor. That's awful. And you're charging taxes to other nonprofits. Where did that money go?
0: Pockets. Yes. So, if you could give any advice um, to the general public about the justice system and the people inside, the people who are affected the most, I don't know if yeah, the people those are affected the most, but their families on the outside yes. are also terribly if affected for <laughs> sure. What would you want? to tell them? What is your loudest opinion that you want to make sure everybody knows?
1: People are not their circumstances, nor are they their geography. Prison, incarceration, the way we do it doesn't work. What's Mm in here and what's in here didn't get taken away simply because they got locked up. If it was your family, your child, your circumstances, keep your heart open. Mm, Everyone deserves a second chance. That's Everyone, have a chance.
0: This season is brought to you by Defy Ventures. They are a national nonprofit with a beautiful vision of cutting recidivism in half by leveraging entrepreneurship to increase economic opportunity and to transform lives. Defy's programs are helping currently and formerly incarcerated people across this country defy the odds by providing pathways that lead to employment, entrepreneurship, and a successful re-entry. Please visit Defy's website at defyventures.org and sign up for their mailing list to stay in the loop. Links to Defy's website and social media can be found in the show notes. So with Defy, I know they focus a lot on employment, mentorship, Mm -hmm. and um, entrepreneurship to help resilience. Do you think one of those is more important than the other, or are they all equivalent?
1: I think self-sufficiency is. I think learning, because you're not going to find employment, bottom line. Even with the new laws, I'm, you know, I have what, eight degrees from UC and multiple uh, associates and multiple certifications so high you could wallpaper your living room. And I can't find employment. I I work for just above minimum wages, does my friend in there who also has advanced degrees. Despite the tax credit for employers, nothing in here was taken away. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, not all the time, I get it. There are those of us that simply got caught in a system that was designed for incarceration, not justice.
0: We are not
1: our past mistake. And when does the punishment end? We've done our time.
0: I love that. I, I'm so glad you said that. And I love how you said this system was designed for incarceration, not justice. Yes. I was speaking with somebody else who said, the system's not broken. It's working exactly as they planned it to work. As it's designed. Of course. Mm-hmm. It's a cash
1: cow. Butts in beds. You get paid. You don't have to spend the money on the people. You're allowed to treat them like indentured servants, slaves, or animals. Yes. And there's no repercussions. If you or I did that to a human being on the street, we'd be in prison for the rest of our life.
0: Yes, we would. Do you have any hope? I mean, I know you still hold on to all of your learning, and you still continue (laughs) to grow and learn. And I'm sure your heart has broken into a million pieces. But do you hold any hope still?
1: Yes. I hold hope that there are those of us that now are aware, if not for us, if we don't help change the system for us, what about the people coming behind us? Mm-hmm. What about the children? What about people that got caught in the same snafu? Mm-hmm. If we don't speak up, cause you know, that's a big thing inside. It's not my problem. You know, it's not my business. Mm-hmm. Um, it is everybody's business. Mm-hmm. Um, Everyone, if you, you know, maybe 20 years ago, nobody knew anybody that was incarcerated. It was a gang thing or it was a Mm
0: -hmm.
1: poverty thing. Mm
0: -hmm. Everyone knows someone. So we'll get to our closing questions. Okay. Um, What is your one tip to make the world a better place?
1: Communicate. Most misunderstandings or conflict is based on a false perception of the other person's role and capabilities. And without asking, you have no idea what you're asking them for. It might be beyond their scope. It might be simply something they can't do. So getting upset without asking, I I really, um, in business, we used to use a term called MSUing, which was making stuff up. Um, So you have this perception in your head and you're not asking. You're assuming how they feel, what they meant you know, all these things go through your mind based on your reality and your life experiences, which have nothing to do with them.
0: That is such beautiful wisdom. And from my own experience, a hundred percent the truth. I can tell that's definitely something you probably mastered while you were in the business world, for sure. Yes.
1: Yes. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of times I would have to stop someone and say, can you give me a, an example of an action, behavior, or communication you experienced directly from me that's led you there? And if so, let's talk about it. Yes. Otherwise, I'm not quite sure how to connect with your reality. Mm-hmm.
0: And also, just each party asking clarifying oh. questions, of course. Of assuming, right? And really listening, because mm-hmm. a lot of us that I'm
1: guilty will listen the whole time thinking about what we're trying to get across or what we're trying to say back and how we're trying to be right. And unfortunately, if I were to say to you, what color's the sky, tell me something about the sky and you'll say it's blue and I'll tell you, well, it's high or someone else might say it's clouds. Well, who's right. All of us.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And who's more right. None of us.
0: Let's talk about facts. Take so out true. The it's that whole, um, all the blindfolded people touching an elephant and describing Uh a different part of the elephant syndrome, right? Just like Uh who's right. Everybody is. Uh We just need to learn to see through other lenses
1: and validate each other. Mm. It's okay to validate each other. Mm -hmm. You you might not agree, but it's okay to validate. Yes. I can
0: see that you're frustrated. Can you tell me more about that? Mm -hmm. That's also another excellent tip. Um, Mm -hmm. A lot of people, have a hard time with that because they feel like, well, if I validate, then that means I'm somehow saying their behavior I'm approving of. And that people confuse validation of a person with validating a behavior. Exactly. You can do one without the other, right?
1: It's exactly like forgiveness. You can forgive someone and not be okay with what they did, Mm -hmm. but that's for you. Mm -hmm that forgiveness is for you. It's okay to say, I forgive you, but that behavior is not okay with me. It's like telling someone close to you, I love you, but I don't like your
0: behavior. Yes. Spoken as a true mom. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Exactly. Um, (laughs) What are you the most thankful for right now?
1: I'm thankful for my family.
0: Um, I am more blessed than
1: most that when I returned to society, I had someone to live I still have love and support. I still had people that know me, that have known me for decades, that didn't buy into the hype. They, they don't assume everyone in prison is Charles Manson or, or the Manson girls. Mm-hmm. So they, they do know the system makes mistakes. They do know that while it may change you, as I tell people, life can change you. But if you change the core of who you are, that's when you become lost. Mm-hmm. So if you can hold on to that core value belief system bestu- despite the circumstances Despite that awful, I mean, prison is violent and it's awful. And despite being surrounded by thousands who are totally alone, mm-hmm. um, I was very blessed to have people that weekly, daily, um, I was in touch with people that, you know, were advocates on the outside as well as on the inside. So I didn't face the daunting struggle of having to find somewhere to live because obviously people don't rent to felons. Um, having somewhere to work. Because of my background, am I able to get employment? Thankfully, is it sustainable employment? No. (laughs) Mm. So, um, you know, there's still those obstacles. However, I didn't have a lifestyle prior to this incident where I didn't have options. Mm -hmm. I I was not getting involved. I was not, you know, I pulled myself up out of poverty. I'm, I'm very educated. So I did I didn't have those obstacles to, say, uh, 20-something coming out with no family, nowhere to
0: live, no vehicle, no transportation, no options. Mm -hmm. Well, kind of uh, leapfrogging off of that, I know there's a lot of trauma that comes with being in prison. So did that trauma, because it's such a negative environment, did you have Mm -hmm. people to talk through that with? And is that part of your family and the support system that you had that helped you work through that? Or are you still working through that?
1: You don't share that with people. There's no greater good that comes from that. Really? Because you, why would you traumatize people that have no control over what's happening to you?
0: So, how do you heal?
1: You, well, I'm super good at compartmentalization. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I, because, and this is a good or a bad thing, because I grew up in, in trauma and abuse. I I did 20 years of counseling, especially after I divorced my ex-husband. And I'm, I'm very good at seeing the, not the silver lining, but what's the facts of it? You know, how did you get through that? Um, don't internalize it, Mm. don't internalize it because here's the thing. Is it violent? Yes. Is it frightening? Yes. Is it, is it a horrifying place where you're not even treated like a human being? Absolutely.
0: Does that change who you are? No. So it didn't, how did you end up without a victim mentality, even though you were falsely accused, how did you end up not walking out of there bitter, a victim and with resentment, even though you're super resilient and -hmm. you had this past experience, I think most people in those shoes would have a really hard time not succumbing to those emotions. Well, it's funny because the person that accused me, um,
1: my husband's stepfather, we came to find out through the course of this eight months, and I hired, thank God, a private investigator who's nationally renowned. That man is a serial rapist of children, and no one knew. Mm. He's a pedophile. Um, While, as a behavioral scientist, I know there's no cure for that, I had to really logically think to myself if someone is so badly wired, and they're that manipulative. What happened to me, his accusations, and it turns out he'd done this to a few other women, is far less worse than other things that have happened to me in my life and far less worse than what happened to those poor, defenseless children. Mm-hmm. I'm mm-hmm. not anybody's victim. Doesn't mm-hmm. matter what you do to me. Mm-hmm. Because inevitably, I will walk through the other side stronger, wiser. There was, there was probably a period of a year where I was kind of in shock and I couldn't believe it. And I couldn't believe they believe a a, a child rapist over, over someone who was law abiding. But you know, when you think about it, when you actually have time, because you have lots of time inside, Mm -hmm. we never even got to the point of, you know, I've never been interviewed by the DA, by anybody, never to this day,
0: I've never been interviewed. Why don't people want to know? It seems almost as if he just wanted you out of the way. He did because there was also a
1: grab for my house. Um, I've owned my property for 22 years and he made some horrifying comment to my husband about, um, oh, you you married up because I was making a six figure income and this is good for the family. And my husband's not close to his stepdad. Again, there was that vibe. None of us knew what it was, but you mm-hmm. just knew it was safe. Mm-hmm. Um, and he didn't have a relationship with him. And of course, evidently after I was inside, my husband found this out and just went ballistic. He, he is a very quiet man, but it just, he couldn't function. And, he, uh, his choice and I'll support him. got his back till death do us mm. part. He chooses not to have any contact with that part of his family, mm-hmm. which I'm sure is hard on him, but you can't invite poison and evil into your life. Uh, there is no cure for people like that, except incarceration or death so Mm. um, you kind of have to get a little bit of perspective Mm -hmm. are there days I you know there's days that it hits me oh my god I used to be able to do this or run this or or help you know I was in healthcare for so long I was all about patient safety Mm -hmm. and and really being bedside and being present and that brought me a lot of joy Um, that's gone but I can rechannel that
0: ah (laughs) rechanneling That's mm-hmm. good. Good advice. Uh, yeah. I, I, you know, take, and, and you know what, if you're angry, if you're
1: angry and something's been done to you, take that and use it to drive the ambition. Don't lash out because guess what? That anger, you can sit there being angry and it's like drinking poison and waiting for the person that did something to you to die. They have no clue. They don't care. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're, they're still sleeping at night. And you know what? It, it has to be about, okay, there had to be a reason for this. Would I have met these people otherwise? No. Would I have been able to touch and hopefully improve their lives? Absolutely not. Would it have brought to my attention the severity of the corruption and the absolutely abominable uh, machine Mm -hmm. that is California and the criminal justice system, the absolute corruption um, that never, I mean, I have family that are law enforcement and it never, I just, you know, you grow up with trusted people in the uniforms. If you're, you know, and I kept saying to my lawyer, which is asinine because I am highly educated, I
0: didn't do anything. I'll be okay. Well, now we all know. (laughs) Yeah. It
1: it makes you more compassionate.
0: Oh, that's a wonderful side effect. Because now you're like, okay, I
1: heard that even if there was a mistake made, Mm -hmm. you made a mistake. Okay. If you understand what happened that got you there, and you,
0: you've course corrected, let's just move forward. That's excellent. We all can apply that in our daily lives, wherever yeah. we are, in any yeah. circumstance. Yeah. Well,
1: and now that the what I do right now as an outreach specialist, which is not CJL. We have a large reentry population,
2: mm-hmm. and so
1: as I tell people when they start telling me their story, and I say, "I understand your justice impacted," and um, which is a term I don't know. I guess I made it up somewhere even justice their family. Impacted. impacted. Interesting. Because they'll say, well, I'm a felon. I say, well, you're not a label. You're not a, you're not a purple tiger either. So you're not a felon. <laughs> you have a felony.
0: <laughs> yes.
1: Yes. You are justice impacted. Um, and they'll say, you know, Miss Elizabeth, that you can't possibly understand. And this is what happened. And I look right at them and say, Oh, my darling. Yes, I do. Mm-hmm. I am also justice impacted. And it blows your mind. And I say, listen, that's behind us we're moving forward. Quit looking in the rearview mirror. You're going to crash into something else.
0: I'm so glad you're not (laughs) letting people stay under their labels because I think if we identify with a label, we can't help but be that way, act that way. Exactly. I was just listening to a podcast that was saying how if parents take away all the hardships and struggles from their children's lives, those children grow up to not understand how to handle stress and they succumb to it. And Mm -hmm. it sounds like the hardships that you incurred as a child, as a young adult throughout your marriage, those helped towards your resiliency, even oh, though they weren't gifts at the time,
1: they turned right. oh, into they a out. gift. Yeah. It's funny, I, I even said, to, I used to joke before this happened to me because my ex was so violent, I would always tease people and say, yeah, I've already done 25 to life. Mm.
2: Together,
1: oh, 29 no. <laughs> We're together 29 years. Together 29 years. Even my siblings say, if this had to happen to anyone, we know you're the only person in our entire family that could have moved through that with such grace Mm. and resiliency. Um, They were terrified, of course. You know, they, they, oh my God, what if she gets killed in there? Because the high rate of suicide in women's prison is not suicide. Most of them are murdered. So, less paperwork. I'm very book smart. I have absolutely no street smarts, which is fine. Well, I think you just gained some. <laughs> yeah, you yeah, yeah. have to kind of figure out what's going on and then kind of figure out how to maneuver through it. So mm-hmm. it was it's awful to say that the violence of my childhood and first marriage prepped me for that experience, but it wasn't as shocking to me as said if I'd had a privileged upbringing or never seen violence firsthand. Mm-hmm. Okay, and your last question, what is your favorite quote? Well, there's two. Good. One of my favorite quotes, and this is just being raised by Marines, um, when you're walking through hell, keep walking. Mm-hmm. That's Winston Churchill. Love it. <laughs> and yes. then the other one, because I have a very close friend I met inside, and when you look at her, you think, oh, dear God, because she's very tall. She's dark skinned. She looks just rough around the edges. And she's the biggest, softest, loving, heart as big as the ocean, Cry baby, I've ever met. And I don't cry. Never, ever. There's no PD. No. No, we don't do PDEs, public displays of emotion. <laughs> <laughs> if you see me crying, you know, it's zombie apocalypse, Armageddon, uh-huh. or something dead, and then I, I cry for 10 minutes, I suck it up. Uh-huh. And so she was crying one day, and it was an everyday thing. And I finally said to her, listen, crying is the lowest form of human expression. It is a Physiological side of psychological weakness. We're in prison now. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh my God. Oh my God. Dear God. You're crying. <laughs> and so I met some amazing women. Again, quite a few that were factually innocent, quite a few that perhaps had uh, different or more colorful experiences in life. But at the end of the day, your time is done. Be done. Your time
0: is done. Be done.
1: And and unfortunately, society doesn't see it that way. But let's say you're 18 and something happens, you could be 60 and still not be employable. You still can't go to school.
2: Mm-hmm. You still
1: can't get a job. Even if you get yourself up by the bootstraps, I do have a lot of connections in the community because of my work and because of both, both, both types of work I do, um, where I'll refer them to re friendly um, resources like underground scholars or impact justice or Arc, or defy or wherever they think they want to go and what's sad is i was talking to somebody the other day they went and got a phd 25 years down he has a phd wow unemployable no he's working he's working in a warehouse for minimum wage no one will hire them
0: well what about entrepreneurship is that like almost some of the only yes. options that a That's lot really of formerly true. incarcerated have?
1: Yes. So I did talk to him about Defy. I myself have been an entrepreneur for years. I've run Fortune 500s. I've been a consultant. Unfortunately, you know, they're so tired. They're so tired of being told no. They're so, mm-hmm. I mean, how often can you get kicked when you're already down till you just finally say, this is it? Mm-hmm. Just succumb you know? to it. I gave him a great pep talk. I said, don't give up. I won't let you give up. I'm going to keep checking on you. And I'm I'm not a nag as a spouse, but good God, I'm a nag as a friend. So (laughs) I said, I will torment you till you do something. So it's easier to just do it and get me off your case.
0: (laughs) Um, We all need someone like you in our lives as a friend, right?
1: Exactly. he, He got very melancholy. And I said, look, because UCR is my alum, he's he's getting his PhD. He's done, and he's like, "What do I do now?" And I said, "Well, what do you want to do? You're not your geography. Mm-hmm. So let's hit it. Figure something out. Call me. I'll help you write the business plan and rock on." Awesome. Reverse engineer that bad boy.
0: Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a beautiful way to end on a positive note. That's awesome. Oh, thank you so much, Elizabeth. This thank has you. just been so enlightening and encouraging, and. It can't help but be that way with you, it seems. Thank you. Thank you so much. Elizabeth's one tip to make the world a better place reiterated a long-held truth, but also one I easily forget. Communication is key, isn't it? I needed that reminder that conflict is based on false perceptions of the other person's role and capabilities. And without asking, you have no idea what you're asking of them. You're assuming how they feel and what they meant based on your life experiences. This is exactly what I needed to hear at this exact moment. Thank you, Elizabeth. Her advice about taking whatever is making you angry and rechanneling it to drive your ambition is a powerful exhortation that we can all benefit from. Reframing a problem in a different light is the beginning of changing our mindset. And as we have learned all too well on this podcast, your mindset is the key to everything. Elizabeth is no stranger to this tactic. Like she said, there is no such thing as a problem, only an opportunity to succeed. And that is truly how she lives her life. May we all learn to view our challenges as opportunities, just as Elizabeth has. Thank you for listening to Gramercy. Remember, there is no them, just us. See you down the road.